our text today and you stand out of reverence and respect for the inspiration, the authority uh, of the word of God. And it comes to us from John chapter 19, uh, verses 16 through 27. And as I read, I just want you to note in your mind all the characters in this particular account, uh, all the characters that are mentioned. So finally, Pilate handed him, Jesus, uh, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of the Lord for you, his church today. And may it understand, may it help us understand today this odd fraternity of suffering of which we are a part as we stand at the foot of the cross together. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> so in just a few more weeks, uh, we will have another celebration when our high school seniors uh, come and stand before you, and we will celebrate their graduation from high school as they prepare to go on uh, to college, to university, the next phase of their life where lots of uh, interesting decisions are going to be made. It's a very formative time, and it certainly was for me. I went to SMU, and one of the, the first decisions that I had to make was whether or not I wanted to be a part of a fraternity, a, a social organization that would help me uh, build relationships with other guys. And so I decided I wanted to be part of one in particular, not only for the social activity, but because they were very interested in intramurals and athletics. And I thought, okay, that's the one for me. But when I said, yes, I want to be part of your group, they invited me to join. Maybe I was naive, but I didn't realize that I wouldn't actually get to be a member right away. I had to go through this season called pledgeship. Uh, I didn't really know the cost that would be involved in my becoming a member. And so there were 44 of us and we went into this season where there were a lot of things that were required of us all for the purpose of bonding us together and uniting us through a common shared experience. And so we had these tests we had to take on the history, the fraternity. We had to learn all kinds of facts and figures about our fellow pledge brothers. We had to do push-ups. We had to do sit-ups two times a week between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. We had to show up at the house and do more physical 
physical training. And then on Monday nights, we got to come over and serve the brothers dinner. That was a lot of fun. And then we'd go into a dimly lit cigar smoke filled room where they'd shine a flashlight in our face and ask us questions. And if we didn't answer fast enough, the guy next to us had to do push-ups. And then all of that culminated in a wonderful uh, 72 hour period uh, known as HE double hockey sticks week. And, uh, and that involved a lot of sleep deprivation and going through a military-style obstacle course. And then the other really fun thing was that one of our uh, Pledge brothers was a 75-pound rock named Pledge Rock, and we had to have him with us at all times. And so you were constantly passing this rock uh, down. And so it was just, it was great times. Loved every minute. But I have to tell you, as challenging as all that was, it actually worked. I mean, I'd like to say it didn't, but by the end of that time, those 44 guys that I had nothing in common with at the beginning, all of a sudden we had bound ourselves together. We had become united because of all these shared experiences of hardship and challenge and suffering. And unfortunately, the reality in this life is that that is true for all of us. Tim Hansel said that human suffering is the common denominator of our human experience. If you don't know that, go spend some time in an ICU waiting room or a chemotherapy treatment room, and all of a sudden you see how people who are all in those rooms together, they didn't know each other before they arrived, but in those moments, all of a sudden they're bound together by their shared suffering. And now they're getting food for each other. They're getting blankets for each other. They celebrate when someone finishes treatment. They weep when someone gets bad news. They're bound together in that experience of their shared suffering. Why? Because they understand what it is. All of us know today what it is to be in pain. All of us know what it is today to suffer. And when you find someone who has suffered in the same way that you have, you're bound, you're united. You identify with each other in a way that is uncommon and uncommonly strong. And friends, that's where we find ourselves this morning. We find ourselves in an odd fraternity of suffering. We find ourselves standing before the cross of Jesus Christ. And in this entire Lenten series, A Walk to the Cross, we have found ourselves in some uncomfortable places, have we not? We've talked about innocent suffering, not understanding why things like that happen. We've talked about our duplicitous nature, that I have a tendency to stand for myself while at the same time I'm trying to stand for Jesus. Last week, we looked at Pilate's examination of Jesus and all of a sudden discovering that Jesus was examining Pilate. It's not just a question of what do you and I do with Jesus, but it's the question of what will he do with us as he invites us by his grace to come home. And this morning, we come and we stand in an equally uncomfortable place. We stand at the cross. Now Jesus is there one that we love, he's suffering and he's dying. And we need to look. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least give you some of the context for how this happens. It's not pleasant to talk about, but Annas and Caiaphas, the Jewish religious leaders, have already tried him. He's already been whipped beyond a, a measure of his life. He's got the robe and the crown of thorns. And then it comes time for him to be crucified. And so he carries his own cross 
In the manner of crucifixion, once they arrived at Golgotha, the scene of his crucifixion, they laid the cross on the ground. And then the soldiers laid Jesus on the beams and affixed him to it with nails through the bones in his wrists and similar bones just above his ankles. And then there was a hole that had been dug and they took the cross and they lifted it and then they dropped it into the hole, jarring the body to such an extent that likely further bones were broken. And what we often don't understand is that the person being crucified, remember, this was the most horrible way that a person could die. The most humiliating form of death. Why? Because it was public. Everybody was there to see it. It was a spectacle. And so when they dropped the cross in the hole, the person being crucified was only 18 to 24 inches above the ground. Too often we see these paintings of people on the, at Golgotha and they're, they're very high. That's not the reality. They're not high at all. They're right there, a foot and a half to two feet above the ground where everyone can hear. The manner of your death is suffocation. It's your chest muscles Your pectorals gradually crush your lungs as you lean forward. But the sadistic means of death, they would put a wooden block underneath your feet. And so instinct, even as your chest is being crushed, you would push up on the block to take a breath before you slump back down. And so it would lengthen your suffering until finally when the soldiers had grown weary of the process, they would break your legs, allowing you to not be able to push up anymore and to hasten your death. And we know that Jesus had already died and that breaking his legs was not necessary. Now, it's hard for me to say all that to you. I know that you would probably rather hear a sermon this morning on five easy ways to be happy without really trying or six steps to a happy marriage. But people, we have to look here. We have to understand the lengths to which Jesus was willing to go and the manner in which he suffered in our place, that substitutionary atonement means that Jesus stood where you should have stood and he took the wrath of God. So unless we stand here and look, unless we understand the fraternity of suffering of which we are a part, then Easter is never glorious. Easter is never transformational because you don't know what was required at the cross. You don't know the nature of what was necessary for God to pour redemption and grace in your life so that Easter becomes triumphant and transformational. And so we linger here and we look. And what I want us to do is I want us to look and see all the different kinds of people who are at the cross this morning. And I want us to ask ourselves, which ones are we? Who do we identify with? Well, first, we find at the foot of the cross, the defiant ones. The defiant ones. This was the first thief on the cross. And he hurled insults at Jesus. And he said, if you're the Christ, if you're really the king, then save yourself and save us. And he mocked him and yelled at him. But friends, before we can point the finger at the defiant thief, remember that we too are sometimes the defiant ones, aren't we? He's just mad. He's just angry. He's just ticked off about everything that's gone wrong with his life. 
It's not the life he thought he was going to have. He tried to do something that he thought was going to bring him something that he couldn't have, and he got caught, and he was wrong, and now he's suffering, and he's dying, and so he just yells at Jesus. But friends, that's, that's actually pretty common, is it not? Because what happens to each one of us when our life becomes challenging and we're suffering and we're experiencing some kind of pain and we can't come up with a reason why? And we cry out to the Lord, why are you letting this happening? Do you not see my hurt? Do you not see the pain? And we're looking for a reason. Why did this happen? And when we can't find one, what do we do? We go all the way up to the top of the food chain and we say, well, if I can't find a good reason, Lord, then it's gotta be your fault. You're the one who's in charge. And we blame him. And we defiantly, as I have done on more than one occasion in my life, We defiantly shake our fists at God and say, if you're really the king, then why don't you come on down here and do something? But notice, there's room at the cross for our defiance, isn't there? Jesus doesn't say, well, yeah, I'll see you in hell today. No, he doesn't. He doesn't condemn the defiant thief, but hangs beside him for the very reason of answering his defiance and answering every one of ours. God does not cause the painful circumstances of our lives, but in his death and resurrection, he does answer them so that what we experience will never defeat us and it'll never have the final word. See, I'm, I'm part of that fraternity of suffering. I'm part, I'm one of the defiant ones. And then I, then I see the indifferent, the indifferent ones. These are the soldiers. They're the ones who are casting lots for Jesus's clothes and it's just a common occurrence to them. Jesus is not the only person that they ever set up for crucifixion. They did this on a regular basis. They would put someone on a cross. They would put him in the ground. They'd wait until he died. Then they'd take him down. And then they'd go home and have their dinner and probably do it again the next day. It was ordinary. It was common. And maybe they'd heard the things about Jesus. They'd heard that, oh, he said he was king of the Jews. Maybe he did some miracles. He said some interesting things. They probably had an awareness of what he was doing, but they had no time or interest in dealing with it. And so they gambled for his clothes. Maybe his clothes will be worth something because of what they said, but they went on about their business. But see, I can't really point the finger at their indifference either. Because how many times have you and I not been indifferent to the presence and the work of God in Christ in our lives. We come into worship or we read our Bibles and we find these eternal transformational truths as our students profess to this morning. And yet we go home and nothing changes and everything is the same. And we act as if we do not care because simply we're too busy. And I find this so much in our culture today because when you live in a culture where the primary ideology is individualism, then guess what? You don't need a savior because you don't really think that there's anything you need to be saved from. You can save yourself. 
It's all about you. It's all about your authority. It's all about your definition of truth. It's all about the little God, small g within you. So no, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a savior. Maybe he says, it's fine if that's what you wanna do, okay. Friends, we've all found ourselves in the same boat, but there's room at the cross, even for the indifferent, even for those who aren't particularly aware of what's happening around them. Why? Because what do we find in Mark 15, 39? It says that one of those soldiers looked up and said, surely this was, surely this was the son of God, even in our indifference, God by his spirit can penetrate and reveal and change. So yes, I am part of the fraternity of the indifferent. As we suffer together at the foot of the cross, and then we come to the broken. This is the second thief on the cross. The thief who says to the other thief, as he is so adamant and angry with Jesus, he says, we're getting what we deserve. And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And friends, this I think we can all identify with because the thief, his life has just come apart. The thief has come to a place where everything has fallen apart. Everything has gone awry and he knows that he's dying. But notice that in his dying, and I've said this to you before, he doesn't go to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, get me off the cross. Oh, Jesus, change my circumstances, change my problem. But he goes to Jesus and he says, I'll take my circumstances and my problems if I can just have you. He comes in all his brokenness, in the ashes of his life, and he just says, Jesus, remember me. It's what we talked about last week. What will God, what will Jesus ultimately do with us The second thief is the prodigal son who comes back to the father and says, I've just made a mess of my life. And how does the father respond? Just as Jesus did on the cross, he says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. The prodigal's father hiked up his robes and he runs to welcome the son who has come home. We are all part of the fraternity of the broken. We've all been there. And if we haven't, then maybe today is the day where we come to bow. And then what I find at the foot of the cross is I find the transformed. I find the deep focused disciple and follower of Jesus in Mary Magdalene. Who was Mary Magdalene? She had been delivered, literally, her life healed and transformed from the darkness and the oppression of the enemy. And Jesus speaks over her and heals her life. And from that moment, Mary Magdalene became a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And where Jesus went, she went, even to the extent that she was willing to go to the cross She was even willing to go to the foot of the cross and be a part, be in fellowship with the suffering of Jesus Christ. And I find myself in that fraternity of the transformed and the disciples because are we not all constantly asking ourselves, am I willing to count the cost? Am I willing to actually be a disciple of Jesus even to the point that I share in the fellowship of his suffering?
What is the cost of discipleship for each one of us? And are we willing to go there? I think about my friend this morning, Anjay Turkonic from Covadis, the recipient of the $337,000 that you gave for Ukrainian relief. And I talked to him yesterday after he had just come back from yet another run of providing to Kiev and Lviv the medicine and the food and the blankets and the baby formula that you provided, driving in a van that you provided. And he got back out of Ukraine, across the border in Poland. And I thought to myself, would I be willing? He is seeing the suffering. He's entering into the tragedy. And yet he's willing to go all the way to that place. Are we willing? See, we're part of the fraternity of the disciples of Jesus who must each day count the cost. What does it mean for us to follow Christ? And then finally, in an odd sort of way, there is the group who were not at the cross, the group that fled. And yes, I find myself a part of that fraternity of suffering as well. Isn't it odd? And this is why we believe in the veracity of the gospel accounts of what happened at the cross. Because if you were trying to make up something, if you were trying to make up a story about a religious leader that would cause everyone to follow so that you could create a worldwide religious movement, you would never write it this way. You would never write it by having all your male leaders humiliate themselves in cowardice to the end that they flee the leader and don't want to be part of his suffering. You'd never do it. And then you would never put the message of hope and good news in the mouths of women to announce it to the men because women had no standing. They had no rights. They would not even be believed in a court of law. You wouldn't ever do it this way. And yet here it is. None of the disciples there except John. And it only says that John was kind of nearby. He wasn't up close. But here all the men have fled in fear of being associated with Jesus. Peter denies him three times. And yet what we find is there's room at the foot of the cross, even for those of us who were running away from Jesus. Because remember, the glorified Christ finds Peter, the denier. And he says to him three times, do you love me? And Peter answers back, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And Peter becomes the one to lead the church. People, we've all run away from God. Some of you here this morning are running right now. Let me read to you from a poem by Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. Thompson writes, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. Up vistaed hopes I sped and down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, that followed after me. See, as we dwell in the fraternity of the fleeing, that sound that you hear behind you, those are the footsteps of Jesus who will never stop coming after you. 
who will never stop pursuing you, his beloved. So I ask you this morning, which one are you? As we stand here together in this fraternity of suffering, what a fraternity is, it is. Because we can identify with every single one, the defiant, the indifferent, the broken, the disciples, the transformed, and even those who would run for Jesus. Which one do you identify with today? Because at different points, we're all of those things. And yet, where do we find ourselves today? We find ourselves at the foot of the cross. We find ourselves before the Lord in a particular oneness that unites his body. Because we all know what it is to be a part of that fraternity. One of the most meaningful experiences I've ever had in ministry was in 1995, I did a funeral for a friend of mine named Lane Newsom. Lane was a cheerleader in our high school. And uh, we graduated together and she was just one of those girls that transcended social class. And she was just nice to everybody. I mean, she was as nice to the cool jock football player guy as she, as she was to the, the brainiac with his nose in a book who went to the Ivy League as he was to the guy in the band or whatever the case may be. Everybody loved her. And 10 years after we graduated, I get a phone call. And she says, David, it's Lane Newsom. I, I have a favor to ask. I need you to teach me how to pray. I have this rare bone cancer and it's very aggressive. And so nine months went by and we prayed together often on the phone. And, and it was even, if you've heard me tell the story about flying with Billy Graham on the private plane, well, I was flying to pray for Lane. I even had Billy Graham praying for Lane and for her healing. And yet three months after that, Lane had gone to be with the Lord. So her funeral's in this, this high Episcopal church, Church of the Incarnation in Dallas. And I was asked to take part in the funeral and it's like big processional boys, choir, altar boys, cross and the Bible and five priests and white frocks and one Presbyterian in a black robe. Pretty easy to find me. And we went up into the chancel in the Episcopal church, there's a communion rail. But we came up here and I sat next to the priest and I stood up and spoke and gave my message and then sat down and then it was time for communion. And I sat behind the rail in this chair and I watched as the big 300 pound football player who went to play in the NFL knelt down next to the kid with the physical handicap that at one point we had all made fun of, who knelt down to the tall girl who had been so popular, who knelt down to the woman who had been in the theater department, was always the star in our, our plays and musicals. And she nails down to the same kid that had his nose in a book. And it was a fellowship of suffering. And then we went out on the patio when the service was over. And all of a sudden, all all of us who came from different areas and social classes in high school, all of a sudden we'd been bound together as one. And all those things that happened in high school, none of it mattered anymore. Why? Because we'd been bound together by our shared suffering of grief, that we had all grieved the passing of our friend, but where then had we come? We'd all come to the cross. We came to the rail. We came to broken body and shed blood, which by 
that shared sacrament joined us together as one. So friends, the beauty of the church today, students, as all of you come into this fellowship, is that we are one at the foot of the cross, that you can't put on airs in the church because we were all once dead in our transgressions. But now God has made us alive together in Jesus Christ. What a fraternity it is that binds us together in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for these students this morning. They too have made their journey to the cross. They've had to ask themselves, what what do I believe to be true about what happened there? But Lord, what we find this morning is a unique and distinct collection of individuals who are there. And in fact, they represent all of us because we've all been in those places. But Jesus, as he hung, allowed room for all of us, for his death was to redeem us, save us now and forevermore. So Father, as we find ourselves in this common space, would you bind us together over against all the things in this world that would separate us, that we might know we are one through the shared suffering of ours with Jesus Christ, our Savior. We ask it in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.